From CoLab and MIT, hello and welcome to Here There Be Dragons. I'm Jess Myers. For this show, I spoke to seven New York natives from all over the city about safety and identity. The episodes that follow are their stories and experiences. This episode's theme is the Bronx. In this episode, we'll hear from... My name's Carmen Chong. Hi, my name's Stephanie Castillo. My name is Sean. Despite being the most diverse borough in the city, in terms of race and income, for New Yorkers I spoke with, the Bronx stood out as the most dangerous borough. But as we've seen in previous episodes, danger is a complicated emotion, ranging from fear of violence to feeling unwelcome. For the Bronx natives I spoke to, the borough evokes a spectrum of emotions. The next voice you'll hear is Carmen. My name's Carmen Chung. I am 24 years old, and I grew up in the Lower East Side of New York, uh, about five minutes outside of uh, Chinatown. And currently, I'm a first-year master's student at uh, MIT studying urban planning. So growing up, I would say I had a pretty vague understanding of the different boroughs. Uh, Bronx was definitely seen as a dangerous, more dangerous borough. Um, that you shouldn't really go there unless you just shouldn't really go there. To those who lived there, the Bronx offered many more challenges than a simple idea of danger. Perhaps it takes Bronx natives who know their neighborhoods best to explain the experiences they had there. Hi, my name is Stephanie Castillo. Um, I am 23 years old. I grew up in the Hunts Point neighborhood of the South Bronx, but I currently live in Co-op City, and um, I am a community organizer and also a writer. When you grow up in the South Bronx, like nothing really scares you, if that makes any sense. Um, and you can pick up on signs, like if you're walking somewhere and you see like a big group of guys like in front of the deli, and you know, you're just told to like be careful because you're a girl. I just understood you keep to yourself, whatever, you keep a pushing, like very New York mentality and you get to and from places like that. In the summers, a lot of fights broke out in my neighborhood, like in the South Bronx. And um, and oftentimes things would happen, it would just be like a lot of kids like running around, either someone getting chased or someone getting jumped. And like one of those situations where you just take your stuff and you go home, because um, you don't want to get caught looking at someone funny or like um, being too nonchalant because then it's like, why are you so stressed for you and like shit is popping off. Um, I think I got used to a lot of the things in the South Bronx, but it wasn't necessarily to be like, I wouldn't mind living that way because a lot of the work that I do now, or actually when I first came back to New York City after college, was in the South Bronx in that same area and there were a lot of triggers. I remember talking to my mom and having this conversation about like how how much more anxious I was after taking on the job. Um, it was for this organization called Sustainable South Bronx and it wasn't the job itself that was producing the anxiety, it was just like the commuting back to the area um, and being young and remembering like areas where like I was like shouted at like really like sexually inappropriate things at a young age or walking through an area where I was picked on because I didn't hang out with the kids on the stairs because I was like 
doing school stuff. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of, and I think too, when you don't, when you feel like your personality doesn't necessarily fit into a neighborhood, you're just over it. It's, it's, and, but you also develop, um, coping mechanisms to, to just be, to just be, you know, I would just disassociate, I wouldn't do anything in the Bronx or in, in that area. I, all me hanging out was like in the city or, you know, the base, the South Bronx was basically just somewhere where I laid my head. Um, and that, that took a big toll on me. It was for two reasons. One's because of like the resources that I needed weren't in the community. So I would need to like find it elsewhere. Um, and two, because I felt that I had stronger support systems elsewhere that weren't in my community outside of like family and like friends. I wasn't able to find people with similar interests to me um, where I was where I was living. Um, I think that the and this isn't to say like there's like a rampant mindset or mentality. I don't mean to like generalize or or stereotype because that's definitely not my politics but I think that being that I was like so like I knew exactly where I was going I felt that I didn't I couldn't relate to people like that where I was from and I still had friends from middle school like my best friend Ashley um she lived in that area in Throgs Neck where I used to go to middle school her and I kept in touch but like her and I are very similar in that we see things the same way. Like, you know, we can, you know, we can see how like oppression plays out. We, and it, and it wasn't like we were blindsided by it. We saw like beyond the bigger picture, like, you know, there's a different way to live. Like the hood isn't everything. Um, and I really didn't find anyone like that in the South Bronx. In order to come to New York, from the Dominican Republic, Stephanie's family had to sacrifice a beautiful home for a small apartment in the South Bronx. When the opportunity arose, her family was eager to move on. We had a beautiful house in the DR, backyard, you know, super, the stereotypical, like, tropical home. We had coconut trees, tamarind, um, mango trees. We left all that to come to, like, a really small apartment where my mom just really wanting to get out of the South Bronx. You know, in the late 1990s, I could literally look out my window and see somebody getting jumped. And to her, that produced like a lot of anxiety for her. It wasn't where she wanted to raise her kids. Um, and she just wanted out. And so the opportunity came up for us to move and she, she was like, let's take it, let's go. Um, yeah. My parents moved to Co-op City during my first year at college. So yeah, basically when I went away to college without knowing it, I was leaving, I was literally leaving the South Bronx. Um, because when I came home for break, maybe fall break or Thanksgiving break, my parents were already living in Co-op City. It was definitely weird, but my parents moved because it was um, safer. There was just more com like convenience in the building, like elevator, doorman, um, and there's more of a sense of community in, in co-op cities, like in the buildings, like people know each other. While Stephanie's family made plans to leave the South Bronx, 
As a child, Sean's friends taught him the lessons of living in Gun Hill Road. Though he still carries those lessons with him today, they don't make the Bronx a place he wishes to return to. My name is Sean, I'm 23 years old. I'm partially raised in the uptown part of the Bronx, Gun Hill Road area. I'm a business rotational associate at Google. I feel like, I feel like the Bronx equipped me with a lot of tools that I've been able to take beyond the Bronx into Manhattan, into, into Brooklyn. Um, but I don't consider it home anymore just because, you know, nobody's there who I grew up with. Um, a lot of them are in jail, including my father. Um, so there's nothing really to go back to there for me. I, I found some really amazing friends in Gun Hill. I felt that they were a different kind of friends um, who taught me a lot about like the nitty gritty. I learned a lot of my street smarts from them. I learned how to hop a train <laughs> very early on. Um, I learned which neighborhoods to go to and what not to go to. Um, I learned how to fight. Um, I also learned how to steal. There were a lot of different things. Now that I'm thinking about it, it was just like we were really like like little kids like doing really bad stuff, but it, it made me grow up really fast at the same time. And I, I thought it was a really safe space. My friends have, we, we actually had this discussion last week. Um, a few of my friends who went to Stanford were also from New York. Um, and we were talking about how we avoid the Bronx. Um, like I, I'm on Tinder, right? So I swipe on folks and you know, I talk to folks and try to figure out where they are. And a lot of us have said that, you know, when we come into contact with people who live in the Bronx, we kind of shy away. Um, and I think there's a class issue there, which I'm trying to unpack myself um, and trying to be more proactive about dismantling. Um, but I definitely associate parts of the city, namely the Bronx or Washington Heights, um, with the struggle. And it's a type of nostalgia that I don't want to go back to in a lot of ways. I feel like the, the point of my life where, you know, I was very, you know, my, my, my parents were working class, poor, um, and I value those experiences for what they were worth and what they taught me, but now I feel like I'm in a different place in terms of how I view space and the people who live in those spaces and what could that signify for me moving up or if it would hold me back. While Sean chose not to return, Stephanie went right back to the Bronx after college when she accepted a job as a community organizer. Her family was concerned that staying in the Bronx would hold her back and waste the sacrifices they made for her. But Stephanie saw it differently. You know, you always hear, you need to leave the Bronx, you know, like go get an apartment in the city, like make something of yourself, like that's the ultimate goal. It took a lot of undoing those, um, those advices that you get like, oh, in order to be successful, you need to leave the Bronx or, you know, you haven't made it unless you've left or I had to undo a lot of those things because 
after I graduated, you know, I got this degree from this very prestigious four-year university, um, and then I'm moving back in with my parents, so I'm living in the Bronx, and that, like, brought up a lot of negative things for me, um, and then to be not just living in the Bronx, but working for an organization in the Bronx, a lot of my family relatives didn't understand it, um, (laughs) they thought that I was, like, throwing my education away, because they didn't, they didn't get what I was doing, um, but what really pushed that button was getting this job as a community organizer, um, for this initiative called the Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative. I felt as though I'd be viewed as an outsider, and that goes against, like, the principle of what a community organizer should feel like when you're in the community. Um, and so I was internalizing a lot of those things, but, like, there is this huge mentality that when, to be successful, you need to leave the hood, like, and it's not just the Bronx, you know, I was speaking with another community organizer um, from Washington Heights, and we were sharing stories, and she's like, I also felt that I had to leave Washington Heights after I graduated school, um, because you're, you you know, your family who's given up everything, and, like, your aunts and uncles, for you to, like, come back, like, they, they they don't see progress or change in that way, when all they've envisioned is that they're gonna come here, you're gonna get an education, and then you're gonna assimilate into white culture. After I graduated college and had to kind of heal that relationship that I had with the Bronx because I knew that I wanted to come back and like, like have a social impact on it. For many of the New Yorkers I interviewed, the Bronx is often so distant from other parts of the city that the news stories become its only reputation. But for Sean and Stephanie, Growing up in the borough means balancing its reputation with their own identities. A Stephanie chose to return and heal her relationship, despite pressure from her family to leave, while Sean took the lessons he learned beyond the borough and chose not to return. What each episode of the podcast has shown us is that the relationship between identity and space is intricate and complicated. Neither a Stephanie nor Sean's decisions are better or worse. Rather, they reflect some of the ways that navigating our cities force us to confront who we are. Thank you for listening. This has been Here There Be Dragons. I'm Jess Myers, a grad student at MIT's Department of Urban Studies and Planning. Each person I interviewed for this podcast also drew a map of their childhood and adulthood in the city. You can find those in the show notes. This is the last of the themed episodes. The series finale will be about listener response and wrapping up loose ends. If you have been hesitating to call in, comment, or draw a map, I'll be taking two weeks off to encourage you to do so. If you've visited or lived in New York and you want to share your experiences with me, download the base map, use the maps in our gallery as your guide, and draw your own experiences of safety and danger in the city. I'll post those in the gallery. Send those to us at collabradio at mit.edu. Or you can record a comment or question about the episode by calling in to 1-888-821-7563, extension 58258. Also, the show is now on iTunes and Stitcher. Please comment, share, and rate. Music for Here There Be Dragons is written by New York-based trio Octopus 2000. Check out more of their music on Facebook and join us in two weeks to talk about your thoughts on the series.